I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle. And I'm here talking with my sister, Karen. Hi, how are you, Michelle? I'm doing good. I'm really excited about the podcast today. This is one that Karen wanted to talk about. I've been dying to talk about this. And the topic is asking deep questions or or coming up with deep thoughts with your kids. In other words, how to think about things in a deeper way. And the start of that is asking questions, right? I think a lot of parents struggle when they're homeschooling with knowing how to lead a discussion with their kids. They tend to start talking and then say what they think, but they don't get their kids talking. Yeah, and, and part of that is is your experience in the, in the schooling you had probably wasn't focused a lot on on questioning and coming up with your own answers and thinking about things deeply and analyzing. That's usually not the focus of most people's background in education, and so it's harder for you to switch to that. But we both think it's really important. I really love this part of our homeschool, and that's why I'm so excited to talk about it. Because if you really get down to what we learn, it's about what we read in our family and what we talk about. We do all of the projects, and that's how we remember what we learned. But the actual learning, I think, in my homeschool at least, takes place in the reading times and in the discussion times. Is that how you are in your family? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And to tell the truth, my kids love, love, love the discussion times. In fact, we have in our morning basket, one of the things we have is a philosophy book. It's written for kids, so it's meant to be teaching kids philosophy. But what the book does is they ask questions. They present some information and then they ask questions. And you have this discussion about these deep philosophical thoughts. And then after you've had the discussion, the book goes on and tells you, well, this, these were ideas from such and such philosopher, and he believed this, and this is why he believed it. And you have just had a discussion about that philosopher's ideas, and you came to your own conclusions, which may or may not match. But the kids love doing that. And you can do that with, you know, when you're talking about science or history or any topics that you're covering in your school. I love the discussions where there is not a right answer. Yeah. If you're going into it and thinking there's this right answer and when are the kids going to get to it, then it doesn't really flow into a discussion in any way. No, that that is a guess the teacher's mind game. Right. And I hate those games. <laughs> yeah. And there is merit in recalling information. There is merit in memorization yeah. of certain things, but that's not really what we're talking about today so much. What we're talking about is actually having a thoughtful discussion right? and how as a parent or mentor, you can come up with those questions. How do you know what to ask? How do you get your kids talking? Okay. So in the layers of learning books, we do have those questions sometimes, not in every exploration, but a lot of times we'll have discussion questions that you can talk with your kids about. We have them already written for you. And in other places we have sidebars that are called deep thoughts, which are not, they're kind of like related to the topic that you're learning about. And it's something that you can discuss with your kids. Again, we do not give answers because there's there not necessarily an answer. There aren't always right answers to things. And we're not asking anyone to arrive at a correct answer. We're asking you to think about it. And training your kids to think about it is going to help them in their real life too. They will be better at analyzing other people's motivations. They'll be better at analyzing current events. 
and cultures around the world and their own belief systems. So it's important for real life as well as academics. So there are a lot of ways to come up with discussion questions. But today we want to focus on a man named Benjamin Bloom, who came up with something that is normally referred to as Bloom's taxonomy. And he took questions and divided them into types. And he kind of made a hierarchy of those questions and described how there are some kind of surface level questions, then you can get deeper and deeper and deeper as you understand more. And he went through and kind of teaches how to ask questions. So I created a printable based on Bloom's taxonomy. If you want to grab the printable of Bloom's taxonomy that I created, you'll find it right on the Deep Thoughts podcast page on layersoflearning.com. So you can just snag that printable. And I love to have it just near my desk somewhere so that if I need to reference it as I'm coming up with questions to ask my kids, it's just right there. It can apply to any topic that you're teaching, anything that you're learning about. They're basically question stems. So it's the beginning of a question and then you're going to fill in the details based on the topic that you're learning at the time. And we'll go through a lot of these and do some examples. The The first column on the chart is called remembering and these are the lowest level. In other words, these are the surface level questions, the easiest ones, because they are simply recalling facts that you have learned. These aren't so much opinion questions. These are more you know, dates, times, places, events, definitions. These are going to be things that are factual. So the first box, for example, in the remembering column says, what did? And then you fill in the rest of the question. So Karen, do you have an example? Yeah, what we're going to do, Michelle and I just grabbed a whole bunch of the layers of learning books off my shelf just right before we sat down to have this discussion. We today. picked them randomly and we haven't looked at them. I, I didn't even look at what Michelle put in front of me and she just put a stack in front of herself and a stack in front of me and we're going to pull it open and just grab it. And I'm going to show you an example of what this looks like when you're asking it in question form. So I just happened to grab the first one that she put on my stack is layers of learning year three, unit seven. And this is about the Dutch Netherlands light and Baroque art. So I'm going to flip it open. Okay, this is page 24. And it's, there's just a little sidebar that says, P.A. Mondrian was a famous Dutch artist. This is a design similar to his works. Look up his art online and then try making some of your own in this style. So as a family, we would go and do that. We would get online and we would quickly look up some of his art. And then... I would come over to the Bloom's Taxonomy question stems and I would choose one of these. It's either what did, who was, when did, where did, or point to. So I might say, who was P.A. Mondrian? And we've just looked at all of his art and I would be asking my kids, who was he? And they would have to describe what they've learned during that lesson. So they're required to use their own words and to recall information, but they're not actually coming up with their own opinion. Not on this one, because yeah. this is very base level. This is just remembering yeah. level. So this, this is on the first column. It's going to be the easiest kind of questions. Yeah. So Michelle, why don't you open yours? What book do you have there? Okay. I've got unit 115, which is first North Americans, North America, Salts, and Creative Kids. So just flip um, open any page. Opening up a page. This is page 10. And it says the exploration is about four types of mounds. The mound builders of Ohio and the Mississippi River Valley, people we call the Adena and the Hopewell, among others, 
built four types of earthen mounds, conical, platform, geometric, and effigy. So the, the exploration goes on. And what I would do is after I have taught my children about these mounds and we've done the activity where we've made models of the four different kinds of mounds, I might ask them one of these questions. This is again from that first column, the remembering one. I might say, where did the Adena people build their mounds? And, and then they have to recall that. They would have to know it was in the Mississippi River Valley, you know, or the Ohio River Valley. It's in that area of, of what is now the United States. Right. So any topic that you've been learning about, you can go to that first column on Bloom's Taxonomy. And you're just asking your kids to recall, to remember something that you learned. So it's a very simple way to ask a question. Those question stems just get you started and then you fill in whatever blank applies to what you're learning about. That's a very, very basic level questioning. So let's shift over to the next column of Bloom's Taxonomy. And the next one is about understanding. So you can tell this is a little bit deeper than the remembering. In understanding, they're going to be recalling, but they're also going to be explaining it in their own words or applying it to something, describing it or giving you an example, things like that. So let's open another book and we'll try this level out. We're going to try the understanding questions. I have Layers of Learning Year 3, Unit 8, about France, Indonesia, Bending Light, and Baroque Art. So let's flip open and see what we've got. Right in the history section about France, there's an exploration about Versailles. And it's talking about how Versailles was remodeled and expanded into this beautiful palace and what it was used for and how opulent it was and how the design of that building and the gardens surrounding the building were then copied all over Europe. And so you go to a website and you explore the palace, you see what Versailles was like, and then you're supposed to make a scrapbook of the gardens and the building and what it was like. So after we did that, if I were going to look at the Bloom's taxonomy question stems, go over to the understanding column and it says, tell me in your own words. So I might say, tell me in your own words what the style of Versailles was like. And then the kids would have to explain based on all those images that they saw, based on everything, they would have to put that in their own words and show that they understood the lesson. So that's not necessarily something that you would have articulated for them. They have to figure out how to articulate that. Yeah, They're not, not just repeating back. There's not a right answer. They've seen it in pictures, but they have to come up with in their own words, the style. Okay, I am in Layers of Learning, Year 2, Unit 8. This one has the feudal system, Germany, muscle, skin, and cardiopulmonary, and Gothic art. So I'm going to flip open. I'm in the science section. So we're talking about the human body with muscle, skin, and cardiopulmonary. And I've got a an exploration here about... Um, Muscles. So in this one, it's called microscopic muscles, and the kids look at muscles from microscope slides. So they're looking through the microscope at different slides of different types of muscles. And there's three types: skeletal, smooth muscle, and cardiac muscle. And so it's an it's an exploration where they do this work. And then in this second column, it says understanding on the Bloom's taxonomy. And so I would say something like. Describe what the three types of muscles look like. So they would have to describe in words what these muscles were that they just looked at. They would have to say the skeletal muscles look like this, the smooth muscles look like that, and the cardiac muscles look like this. 
And again, this isn't an answer you have already fed them. They have to come up with this on their own. Yeah, it shows greater understanding. It's that next level. Remembering is that first level, but understanding is the second level where now they're applying what they saw and putting it into words showing that they understood what they saw. Not what you've told them and what they've regurgitated, but they're actually demonstrating understanding on this level. Okay, so the third column on Bloom's taxonomy is called applying. And this one has to do with drawing connections. So they're required to organize their thoughts, um, compare what they've just learned to something else in their experience, or contrast two things that they just learned about. They're required to question something. Again, it's a little deeper than the first two levels. So they are applying what they've learned to their real life or their other experiences. Okay, so I'm going to flip open a book here. This is Layers of Learning Year 2, Unit 6. I'm going to turn... Okay, I'm on page 9. Oh, this... This is going to kind of be a light version of applying, but I like this. There's a fabulous fact in the sidebar that says, you're probably related to Charlemagne. Almost everyone who has European blood in their lines is. If you go back just a few generations, you have hundreds of ancestors. Go back to 800 AD and you have millions. Of course, many of those are duplicates, but most likely you are descended from royalty like everyone else. So that's just a fabulous fact because in this unit we're learning about Charlemagne and how, hey, you are probably related to him. So in the applying column of Bloom's taxonomy, it has questions like what would happen if you, how would you solve this problem? If you were there, what would you do if? But the last one says, if you could choose. And so I might ask my kids, if you could choose someone famous to be related to, who would it be? And they would have to just come up with something. There's not a right answer or a wrong answer, but they're applying the knowledge that we learned and thinking of it in a new way. That's a deeper level of discussion. Okay, let's do another one. This is from Layers of Learning, Year 3, Unit 13. 13 colonies, Central America, metamorphic rocks, and settler sayings. And I'm just going to open to a random page. And we're in history. Okay, so this is an exploration about corn husk dolls because children in colonial times often made their own toys. And one of the toys that little girls would make was a doll made out of corn husks. And so you have the children actually make the corn husk doll. And perhaps you read a book about the colonial times. But then when we want to apply it, if we want to ask an applying question, we might say, if you were a child and you didn't have any toys, how would you solve the problem? How would you build your own toys? And in, in this case, you know, you don't, you're not wanting them to repeat back, well, I'd build, build one out of a corn husk. You're wanting them to come up with their own toys, maybe of something they could make from right here in their home. So you're having them apply it to their real life. Okay, we've gotten halfway through Bloom's taxonomy now. So we started with the remembering level of questions, and then we moved on to the understanding level. And then the last one that we just went through, Michelle, was the applying level. And the next one is where it really starts to get good. This is where you're asking your kids to analyze something. So again, there aren't always right answers to these questions and you can't feed them the answers because this is just to get them thinking about it. Okay, so we're going to try analyzing. I'm going to flip open another random layers of learning book. So this is year one, unit four. And I'm going to flip it open to page 12. This is a little tidbit about slavery 
in the world of ancient Greece. And it says nearly every Greek citizen owned at least one slave. Slaves were captured in war or at sea by pirates and sold internationally. A slave was owned body and soul by his master with only a few legal rights. The children of a slave mother were slaves themselves. So you're going to teach your kids about what slavery was like to the Greeks, but then you're asking them to analyze. So if I'm looking at the analyzing questions, I'm immediately drawn to what caused this to, that's the question stem. And I would say, what caused this to happen in Greek society where slavery was the norm? And the kids would have to actually think, what causes slavery? How do we get to that point? Yeah, why, why does one person think they can own another person? And why do some people allow themselves to be owned? I mean, or why do they, why are they so powerless that they are owned? You know, how does that happen? So right. that's really a deep question. You're starting to get really into deep stuff there. Once you get halfway through this Bloom's taxonomy, these questions get deeper and deeper and not as clear cut as far as the answers. Yeah. And like, like that, that question, I don't know the answer. I mean, I could discuss it. The discussion but is the key. That's the what we're looking for. Yeah. We want to know that we're thinking about those things because when we're thoughtful of things like that, we understand what's happening now in the world around us. We understand how to protect ourselves against the things like slavery that we don't want to have happen in our society. Yeah. We don't want to have that happen again. And we don't so, want to repeat that. Yeah. And that's why we are asking these questions. That's why you bring this into your history or your science or your geography studies, because we need to think about these deep things. But how often do we think about that? What causes slavery? What makes that happen? It's things that we need to think about. Okay. Let's do another one on that same column, the analyzing column. And I have here year three, unit four. And this has the Reformation, Angola and Zambia, birds, and Reformation art. And I'm just going to flip open, try to hit the art section. I found the art section. I was aiming for it, Karen. <laughs> you found the art. <laughs> Yay. So, oh, this is a good one. Okay, so this is, again, it's about Reformation art. So there is an exploration called Popular Prints on page 35. And it says, popular prints were low-quality art that was made in great numbers so it could be distributed. In essence, these were the earliest propaganda flyers. Most often, these were graphic and were meant to be seen and understood by even the least educated people. Reformers and counter-reformers alike made these prints to attack each other and convince the people of their point of view. And we have a picture here in the book of some propaganda prints that were distributed during the Reformation period. And the, the exploration is to thumb through a current newspaper and find examples of propaganda. This one is really an, kind of an easy one to ask questions about because if we're looking down the analyzing column there on this Bloom's taxonomy chart, I could say something like, what is similar to, that's the question stem, so what is similar to this kind of propaganda art in our culture today? And what is similar to that? that Reformation art propaganda that we have today. And that would cause the kids to have to make a connection between something that happened historically and something that's in their, you know, real cultural surroundings right now. I think that's one of the cool things that happens when you get into these deeper level thinking questions is that you go, oh, I'm forced to make connections. You have to connect what you know and what you've experienced with what you're learning about in a different time frame or cultural setting or, you know, any different experience than yours that you're learning about from a different people, you connect to you. And do you know what's interesting? When when I ask my kids these types of questions, 
my mind is already trying to solve the problem for myself, right? Like I'm, I'm already coming up with answers, but I keep quiet because I want to hear what they say. And whatever they say is almost always something I haven't thought of, but and not wrong, but is right. Like, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's true. I never would have thought of it that way. You'll be surprised at how good your kids are at this once they've had a little practice. I was going to say it takes practice at first. You might get blank stares for a little bit, but the worst thing that you can do is fill in the silence. Sometimes you have to let the silence be, let them process because all of these questions, even when we're asking them spur of the moment like this, I have to go, whoa, what do I think? Yeah. We have to process and we need that internal time. So don't jump and fill in the silence. Instead, let your kids really process it. Yeah. Sometimes you may need to rephrase your question because you have been confusing unintentionally or something, or you may need to ex- ex- explain a term. But for the most part, yeah, just just let that silence sit until they... Think of something. And again, your first discussions might be very awkward and not much there, but they'll get better and better at this as you practice. Yeah. The more you do it, the more your kids will kind of have those gears turning and understand, oh, yeah, I have to think about this because there's not a right answer. And you know, at first they feel like they need the right answer. You know what I like to do? And we're, we're not all the way through this chart yet, but, but what I like to do is actually start out with an easier question, like one of these remembering questions. So we're having a discussion And I'll ask something really easy, like for the Reformation art one, it might be like, who were the two sides that were arguing during the Reformation? You know, what what were the two sides? Well, that's something factual that we would have learned when we're talking about the Reformation. So my first question is not going to be the deepest one. It's going to be one of those easier surface questions. That gets kids warmed up and starts them into the mental framework of thinking. And then you work into the harder questions. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to do it. And you're not going to have to map this out. I and mean, one of the reasons that we're pulling these books out spur of the moment is to show you that you don't have to map out every discussion and have a solid plan every time you go to have a discussion with your kids. It can be really organic and natural. We really are not taking any time to prepare this. We're pulling one out and we're just using Bloom's taxonomy and going, okay, let's ask a question on some level of understanding and and see what happens. And just like your kids get better at answering questions, you'll get better at asking them as you practice. Exactly. Yeah. And it does take practice. Yeah. Okay. Should we go to the next column? Yep. We're on column five. Yeah. We did remembering, understanding, applying, analyzing, and now we're on evaluating. Again, there aren't right answers to this. On the evaluating level... You are being asked to actually be the judge, to say what is the best or what is the worst or say your recommendation for something. And sometimes that's just merely your opinion. It's not always a right answer. But let's open a book and see what we've got here. Uh, My next one in the stack is Layers of Learning, Year 4, Unit 16, Vietnam War, Atlantic States, Food Chains, and Photography. So I'm going to flip open. Okay, this is the science section about food chains. And in this, there's an exploration that speaks of producers and consumers. And it describes how some living things are producers, meaning that they make food in their body, either using sunlight or chemical energy, like plants. Plants are producers. And then some living things are consumers. They have to eat something else to get energy, like people, we are consumers, and things like birds, worms, bats, cows, lions, these are all consumers. And so in this, 
you're actually going to categorize different animals. There are little cards that, that are there as part of a game. And the kids are going to categorize them into piles of consumers or producers. And so they have to figure out which one is which. But after that, if I want to strike up a discussion on the evaluating level, there are lots of different kinds of questions that I would ask. In this, it says, what is the most important? Which person would you most like to meet? Choose the best. Was blank good or bad? Or would you recommend? But I would probably use the choose the best as kind of my question stem. And I would say, choose which one you would think is best. Would you rather be a producer or a consumer? It's not like it's actually the best. It's their favorite. They're evaluating. Right. And then, and then you would make them give you reasons. Yeah. Why? Like if they said, why oh, would I'd you want to be that? a producer? Then you're, why? Yeah. They probably haven't thought before about themselves being a consumer when they eat. But if you are a producer, do you get to eat the bowl of ice cream? It's, <laughs> That's true. There's a trade-off. <laughs> towards, you know, but it actually causes them to think about those things a little bit more deeply when they're asked to evaluate and then explain why. Okay, let's do another one on that same column, the evaluating column. I have here year four, unit five, Africa, U.S. political maps, energy conversion, and impressionism. I'm just going to open up to something. Yeah, I got art. Okay, so this, again, this is impressionism in the art section here. And let's see, here is a quote that it's in a sidebar. It says, Albert Wolf famously said, these so-called artists style themselves impressionists. They threw a few colors onto the canvas at random and then signed the lot. Okay. <laughs> That's a great quote. Okay. Anyway, we shouldn't congratulate ourselves so much on our own work. Isn't it but, fun when you read something that we've written, Michelle, and you're like, I forgot we wrote that. Yeah. I, I, it is yeah. <laughs> we do. Okay. So we're in the, the evaluating column. And so I would say something like, was blank good or bad? I'd use that question stem. And basically I would ask them, was this quote right or wrong? Rather than good or bad, I would say right or wrong. Do you agree with this quote in other words? Mm -hmm. And so the kids would have to decide, first of all, they're thinking, what does the quote really mean? And then they're thinking, do I agree with that or not? Do I think this impressionist art looks like real art or is it just slapping some colors on the canvas like the quote says? And then they would have to, you would ask them, okay, why do you think that? You know, I think anytime they answer a question, a good follow-up is why. Model yeah. the two-year-old and just right. <laughs> ask why. Why do you think that? Yeah. Having your kids back things up really gets that discussion spurred on. Yeah. In fact, without the why, I mean, they could just randomly say whatever. You you want them to have to back it up with reasons, even if the reasons are completely subjective. You know, it's Spouting their thoughts is actually an important skill. We learn to articulate from practicing that. We start by mumbling and fumbling our words but the more we discuss the more articulate we become the more well-spoken we become and the more we solidify our ideas and our viewpoints in our mind so discussion is invaluable yeah and like with this question about the impressionist art some people like impressionism and some people don't and there's there's not a right or wrong and if some of your kids like impressionism and some of them don't that's fine and if if they disagree with you about impressionist art, that's fine. But it's it actually, good for them to have an, an idea. It actually makes for a better discussion. Oh, much when better. When you don't all agree. Yeah, it's, so. and it's nice if you if you have more than one child, but even if you only have one child, there should be at least two opinions, 
yeah. right? Because because there's you and the child and you know each of your children should have a chance to well, explain their thoughts. It's important to realize also that just because you have differing opinions in something doesn't even necessarily mean that you disagree. Sometimes it's not like night and day opposites. Sometimes it's just, I see it this way. Oh, I see it a tiny bit more this way. You know, it's, yeah. it's not opposite or right or wrong. That's where the discussion gets fun is where you see all of the shades of it, all of the little bits of differences and thoughts. I, I, again, I like it when my kids say something and have a point of view that never occurred to me because they do have a different experience than me. They've read different books. They've learned different things. They've had different life experiences than I have had. And we have different personalities. And so there's going to be all these different opinions and different ways of seeing the world. And it's really, really fun to have those discussions with kids. And it's amazing as you watch kids learn to really be good discussers, how much they can articulate their experiences as they practice this. You start to know them. You know, I, I feel like I know my kids. I raised you. I, I'm with you all the time. But there's something magic that happens when you're really hearing them instead yeah. of just expecting answers. And you're getting into those deeper psychological differences that happen inside people's inner selves. It's not just, oh, he likes peanut butter. You know, this is much deeper that your inner thoughts and the way that you see the world. Exactly. It's, I don't know. I love when we get on this side of Bloom's taxonomy where it's I like, know. it's, it's I was so just, fun. I, I think that the, the evaluating column is probably my favorite. We're going to get to the most deep one here, but this one is actually my favorite because it's the philosophy kind of. Well, <laughs> I will give you that. I actually think evaluating is the deepest. But Bloom described the next one, which is creating as the deepest. That's where you have already evaluated. And now you're going to contribute back into the world. Like you're going to create something based on what you've learned. And this isn't necessarily that you actually have to create the project. This is just you're going to describe what you would create or what you would do. Because it's remember, this is just the discussion. This isn't the actual, you know project that we're talking about. But on the creating column of Bloom's taxonomy, the question stems are, what would it be like if, what would have happened if, tell a new outcome or ending, imagine you are, or design your own. So it's like, you're going to take this knowledge and then you're going to spit back your own idea of a version of it into so the world. So like you're, you're adding, yeah, you're adding more to the discussion, not just analyzing, not just reflecting you're actually adding right. information. And so I don't know. I, I see that the evaluating can actually sometimes be deeper, but we can never get to creating if we didn't evaluate. Does that right. make sense? Well, well it's, it's interesting. Something that I think is kind of odd. Like you look at Picasso's paintings and sometimes they look a little like, yeah, I could do that. But, <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is that Picasso was a highly trained artist. And the reason that he could do what he did, the reason he could break those rules is because he had already mastered the rules. And, and so that's kind of what we're saying here is that you have to understand things on a deep level. You have to have mastered these ideas and thoughts in order to create something that is different and new and innovative. Exactly. Of your own. I, you were talking about Picasso and I cannot remember the quote. I really wish that I could. But I read a quote this week about how he was looking at some cave paintings. Was he in Lascaux? I think he was inside of Lascaux, the cave in France, looking at the cave art there. And he said something along the lines of, well, we haven't 
come anywhere further than this in all these thousands of years. He basically was looking at the cave art and saying, this is still the way we paint today. Yeah. But I don't know. I love thinking about things like that. And then we get to put our own spin on that discussion. We get to evaluate what he said, what differences we see. It's just powerful when we start thinking about discussing things that don't have answers. So this would actually be, this last column, the creating column, would be a great final question to a discussion that had three or four questions. Absolutely, yeah. We can often start with having our kids remember. We're recalling facts and all of that, and then we get deeper and deeper as we apply and analyze and all of that. And then we ask them what they would create. So let's open up some random books, Michelle. I have Layers of Learning, Year 3, Unit 5. So this is about Renaissance England, Tanzania and Kenya, mammals, and Shakespeare. And I'm just going to open it up. Oh, I landed on Shakespeare. I really like Shakespeare. Okay, so in this, one of the things that you learn about in this unit is couplets. And it describes that they are two successive lines that rhyme. And they are usually the same length as well. In the unit, you're just at that moment learning the definition of a couplet. But if you head over to Bloom's taxonomy question stems, you would say, okay, we've read some couplets from Shakespeare. You know that it's two successive lines that rhyme. They're usually the same length as well. And as far as creating, you're going to ask your kids now design your own couplets in the style of Shakespeare. And so they would actually not be looking at Shakespeare's poems exactly, but spitting their own back out into the world, adding to that. Okay, I have another book here. This is Layers of Learning, Year 2, Unit 7, Normans, Nigeria, Skeletons, and Canterbury Tales. I'm going to open it up, and let's see, we're on page 27, and the exploration is Nature in Nigeria, and it talks about some of the wildlife and the biomes that are in Nigeria and what it's like there. And then the final line says, unfortunately, many species of animals here are dying out because of hunting and habitat destruction. And the activity is to use construction paper, scissors, markers, and glue to create animal masks. And the kids can make whatever Nigerian animals they want out of construction paper. Then for the discussion, a good one from the creating column, I might say something like, what would it be like if you could change the economy of Nigeria so that the animals were a resource instead of like, how would, how would you change the economy of Nigeria to make it so the animals are a resource? In other words, they're not going to be hunted. They're going to be valuable alive. So you would ask them to problem solve that. Yeah. I, I love that. It adds great depth when they start to think of creating because for sure there are no answers. Creating is making something new. There's not a right or wrong to that. It's just, you have to innovate. That's powerful when you're asking your kids to discuss and innovate at the same time. Now, Michelle, I think that we have older kids and we've been doing this for a long time. So for us, using question stems, we just pulled out with it, no problem. We we really literally opened these books the second that we were yeah. talking here. How would you apply this to little kids? Like to parents well, of little kids. Yeah. For, first of all, I would never get into the deeper questions with really small children. They're not ready for that. Their minds aren't developed enough yet to do the to make connections. They don't have enough experience or world knowledge to make connections. They have nothing to make a connection to. They don't have enough facts. Okay. Yeah. So for younger kids, I would start. I would stick with the first three columns probably. Yeah. And we're talking like up through probably age nine or ten. You know. 
Yeah. If you it, can have them remember and understand and even apply. Yeah. But you're not going to have them analyze. You know, yeah. they're not ready for that yet. They will ready. be. And if you're starting with these yeah. basic discussion questions, they really will be ready. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you start, if you start asking these questions and you don't give them the answers right at first, especially column two and three, the understanding and applying. Mm-hmm. Column one, you should be asking, you know, ask them to remember things. But then column two and three, those don't have answers, but they're still pretty simple. Yeah. And so those are the kinds of questions that really train a child's brain to be ready for when they're uh, approaching the age of 10 or 11, you know, then they're ready to start on some of these deeper questions. And sometimes kids will be ready younger, especially if they have older siblings and they've already been hearing these kinds of discussions for a long time. They start to be able to join in in the discussions without full commitment. They just get to pop in with their answers when they're ready and when they have thoughts. And yeah, they do get trained. And, And it's important, like when your children are, young sometimes they will say things that are off topic or you're like that makes no sense but it's important to validate them and maybe help guide them a little bit if that's necessary you know what I do I restate things a little bit differently like I think I hear what you're saying is and then I kind of help them articulate it a little bit and then they go oh yeah or no that's not what I meant yeah but it does help them learn to discuss when you actually do listen even if they're off base listen to what they're saying and see if you can help them make that connection and again a lot of times it doesn't matter if they're wrong like the point isn't really to be right in a lot of these questions the point is to think to think yeah to learn how to think and not just regurgitate information, but to actually come up with your own ideas. Exactly. And then as kids get older, they naturally get better and better at the higher level thinking. I mean, logically and developmentally, little ones just aren't there yet. Their brains aren't physically ready. It's not like you go, oh, my kid's not smart enough to get it yet. No, they're not developed enough to get it yet. Yeah. But we have to help them and... We help them by starting with the simple level and then building up and up and up so that by the time they are in middle school and high school, you can ask them any of these levels of questions and they can really have a good discussion with you. Yeah. And and on the other side, though, they don't ever grow out of the easiest questions. No. You can keep asking easy ones, especially, I again, I think at the beginning of a discussion to get people warmed up, it's nice to start with something that's pretty easy. Well, and also because the first column is the remembering column, it, that's a really good way to start so that you can kind of get those memories flowing, you know, okay, let's talk about what we've been learning about kind of a thing. Yeah. Let's remember together some of these facts. It's kind of like when you brainstorm together and then you have the whole word wall of brainstormed ideas and just having that up there prepares you. Those remembering level questions really help you kind of brainstorm. Okay, what did we learn? Let's remember all of this. It's a good review. And then you can get into some of the deeper application type questions. I'll tell you what else helps kids, I think, is when they see it modeled. In other words, you you can answer some of these questions. Hopefully you let the children answer first, but then you can join in the discussion as well. And I like to think out loud. Like I just sort of spill my thoughts out and sometimes I'm working it out out loud in front of the kids. So I might start out saying something and then I go, no way, I just remembered this. Maybe it's not that, you know, like I'll let myself wander a little bit and let them see the process. Yeah. I don't think that it's the right approach to have your kids believe that you know all the answers 
or that they're just trying to get everything right for you because you're like the end all to knowledge. Yeah. It's better for me when my kids know I don't know a lot. It, it can be fine for them for you to say, I'm not sure about this, but I think maybe, you know, you can be unsure about things. You cannot have all the answers to the world problems. That's and okay. You can show them how to do research and how to find things out when you don't know or how to keep asking and thinking, you know, yeah. those are the kinds of things that we want to model for our kids. If we want them to be lifelong learners, like we talk about. Yeah. I, I also like it when my kids convince me of their argument and I agree with them. Like they get a, a big boost out of that. They're like, Oh, I convinced mom or I was right. And mom didn't know this, and, you know, <laughs> They get really motivated to know things that you don't know then. They'll just yeah, yeah. go off. <laughs> they do. The other thing that I really love about having discussions like this as a family, and this is something regular that we do, is, you know, discussions all the time. While we're crafting, creating projects, reading, discussions happen all the time for us. But the cool thing is that then it translates into really good writing in your high school level kids. When they've learned to really analyze and evaluate and create when they're doing that level of questioning and discussing that enables them to articulate their ideas in writing. And that's when you have the ones who are awesome at five paragraph essays are yeah. such good persuasive essay writers, you know, great at short answers on tests. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a skill and it's not a skill that comes overnight. It works best if it's something that you're constantly practicing at in your homeschool, whether it's out loud, you know, oral discussions, or whether you give them these questions and say, you know what, go write about it. And then you see what they wrote. So this chart, the Bloom's Taxonomy chart, Karen, that you have, mm -hmm. do you just keep this in your, like your homeschool mom notebook or do you have it on hand? You know, I have a desk sitting here and I just have it like magneted up by my desk so that I can just refer to it if I need the ideas. I'm... I've done it a lot, so now I'm pretty good at just knowing the question stems, and I don't have to think through it too much, but I used to use it all the time. Like, if I had the unit that I was using, I would just slip it into the cover, and I'd be like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have to prepare my questions ahead of time, but they were just kind of that trigger that helped me remember what kinds of questions I wanted to ask so that I could make sure I didn't just stay at those surface level remembering questions, but I actually went deeper and deeper. I it's, like it's the nice chart. To have handy. I, I like the chart too, though, because it, sometimes just the question stem will help you prompt you into the right, like, Oh, I could ask this about it. You know, exactly. it will help you to get started and maybe it will help you come up with a question that you wouldn't have without, well, and without we, the chart. We tend to kind of get into the same rut you know, we right. ask the same kinds of questions and this helps you to grow beyond that. You know, when you're leading the discussions with your kids, it helps you to think of new ideas that you wouldn't have thought of or make sure that you're touching on the different levels of discussion and questioning that yeah. you that you want to hit. So this chart is a free printable on the podcast page. Yeah, it's just there with the show notes. Yep. And you can just grab it and At print it of off. Learning. It's a cute little colorful printable of Bloom's Taxonomy and it's really, really helpful I hope that it will help people to have great discussions because that really is my favorite part of our homeschool in a lot of ways. The things that we yeah, discuss. My, my kids like to get me going. They call it ranting. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we're driving in the car. Isaac will really be like, I'm going to get mom ranting. She, he just, I'm like, stop it, you guys. So they like to ask me questions and get me going. I'm like, you guys. <laughs> They're doing role reversal. They, they are. To be they the learned. discussion leaders. It's, it's really refreshing though when your kids know 
that the discussion is on level playing field. Like you're going to discuss, they're going to discuss. You can't start out that way when they're little. You have to get them discussing and you kind of hold back. But then once they are really good at it, you get to be a full-blown participant. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And it's really fun. We hope that you make discussions a big part of your homeschool, like they're a big part of ours. It's definitely something that meshes with the Layers of Learning program. The whole idea is to explore and to think deeply and having good discussions with your kids helps you do just that. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family-style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.